0: I'm pregnant. For many, those two words are so exciting and life-transforming in such a wonderful way. And yet for others, those two words can be the most devastating and terrifying. I'm Sharon Betters, and I am the host of this Help & Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. And today I have the privilege of speaking with Lavette Vassar, who knows the joy of pregnancy. She knows the joy of giving life, but she also knows the grief that can come from hearing those words. Lavette has experienced deep grief over the termination of two of her pregnancies. And because of that sorrow, uh, and because of the peace that she has found, she is passionate about helping other women find recovery after abortion. And it is such a privilege for me to have this conversation with Lavette. I am so grateful for the life-giving words that you are going to hear. And so, LaVette, thank you so much for uh, joining us today, and thank you that you are going to share your story. And so, before we get into the story that, that really we want to zero in on, can you tell us a little bit about your life right now?
1: Well, Sharon, thank you so much for having me here with you guys. Um, I am a mother of seven. I'll start there. Um, and been married to my husband for over 20 years. It's so important that I say I'm a mother of seven. Because I have five children on earth and two in heaven. And so going through this journey, that's something that I talk to women about. Make sure that, you know, even your wording should change. You have to acknowledge those children, whether they was lost in miscarriage, whether they were lost with abortion or whether they passed away some type of way. You acknowledge those children. So I always say I'm a mother of seven. My oldest son is 26. My youngest child is 11. And I work at Hope Pregnancy Center here in Killeen, Texas. And I love every second of it. I mean, mm-hmm. to come to a place where you can share the gospel, pray with people, and it's your job, uh, yeah, you, you can't think of somewhere better to work at. I'm like, I'm just blessed to work here.
0: You mentioned uh, that you work at the Pregnancy Center. And I know that we're doing this uh, interview. You're there. and yes. You mentioned boxes behind you. Tell us a little bit about that,
1: some of the ministries. It's really awesome. We have these great boxes um, behind us because they are filled with brand new Ugg boots. And anybody who knows fashion, Uggs are very expensive. And so one of the local um, shopping places on Post, because I stay near a military base, got the box Ugg boots and realized that the writing on it was wrong. It said satin bows and it wasn't a... Satin bone. And so they brought all the boots to us and said, hey, why don't you give these to the ladies that come in? Well, can you imagine coming in and $80, $100 Ugg boots? It's just like, hey, it's for you. And I mean, they offer so much here at the Pregnancy Center from parenting classes to diaper service, free ultrasound, free pregnancy tests. And the biggest part to me is the love that's greeted at the door. So I think about when I was 16, 17, I didn't know of a pregnancy resource center to come to where somebody would just pour into me maternity clothes, baby clothes, and all of this ran by donation, godly people. So you mentioned
0: uh, when you were 16, you didn't have a place like that. So that's a perfect bridge into your story. So mm-hmm. um, tell tell us a little bit about uh, your journey from a teenager and uh, how the, those words, I'm pregnant, struck fear into your yeah. heart.
1: Well, you know, I'll start with saying the per, um, I've been in an abortion clinic three times in my life. Um, the first time was when I was 16 and I would have aborted my beautiful son when I found out I was pregnant. It was like 16, what do you have to give to a child? Um, and now I know what I had to give, but Then I didn't. So me and the child's father went into the abortion clinic and I learned that I had an infection. And I was so far along that by the time I would have finished taking antibiotics, I'd have been over the mark to get the abortion. So I have my beautiful son and he's 26 years old. And he is like, I often feel like I just can't love him enough because of the choice that I almost made with him. And I love to hear him tell his story because he always tells people an infection saved my life. I would not be here if my mother didn't have an infection. Unfortunately, I was that girl who was always looking for love in the wrong places. I became pregnant again. And because my mother was our sole provider, my father was kind of in and out. She was like, there's no way you're bringing another baby to this house. No way. And she was like, you're going to get an abortion. And I sat at the abortion clinic and I cried because I knew after having my son what it was like to touch a baby, what it was like to have a child put on your chest, what it was like to smell. You know, babies have this smell that we just like, oh my goodness, you smell so good. Um, And so I knew what that was like. And I kept telling my mom I wanted to have my baby, my baby. And she was like, no, she said, no. We went to the clinic. I cried. The nurse at the abortion clinic brought me back out to my mom and said, she keep crying. We cannot do it. And I felt like that was my out. But my mother gave me a stern look like, "Mm -mm, you have to get that abortion. You cannot bring another baby into this house. So I went back the next day, cried in the parking lot and went inside and had the abortion. And the nurse said, she just keep kicking. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if she knew she said she, but I knew that was my daughter's last fight for life. And you hear that story and you think, man, that was so traumatic. But I got pregnant again. And so I, it's almost like it became routine. I knew what to do. You cry in the parking lot, and then you go in there and win an Oscar. Act like nothing's wrong. And the funny thing is none of us looked at each other while we sat in the waiting room. All of our heads were down. And I remember when I had my son, and you sit in the waiting room waiting to see your doctor. You picking up magazines. You talking to other ladies. Like, well, how far along are you? And it's just so exciting. But in an abortion clinic, there was none of that. It, w- it was tears. It was sadness. Um, the best way I could think of it is, is when you walk into a funeral home. Nobody's talking. Nobody's talking at all. Press forward. You know, all my kids know my story. They are like my biggest supporters, my kids and my husband. They support me through it all where Satan told me, you tell people, they're going to convict you and they're going to point their finger at you. And I told people and they loved me. Mm. And I thought, oh, that's a huge lie, Satan. That's mm-hmm. a huge lie that he tells people.
0: When you describe an abortion clinic, and I mean, you just paint such a devastating picture of grief, and it's a place of death. Mm-hmm. And even though our culture is demanding that it's a right, and, and we've seen some really horrific displays of even joy and mm-hmm. laws being passed that say um, a woman can abort her baby up to the day that baby is due. And I mean, we, we all, we know if we're, if we don't have our heads in the sand, we know that we live in a terrible time for babies like you are out there fighting and um, making a big difference. And so what would you say to a woman who, or a teenager, a child really, who is facing the pressure, who is experiencing the pressure from those around her, uh, you, get, you have to have this abortion. I mean, you were a child, How, what, what
1: rescue was there for you? You know, and I, I often think about that. And when I talk to even older women who felt their parents, you know, force them into an abortion. And as a parent and as a woman who loved the Lord, I know that I have a right to fight, you know? And often one of my favorite verses in Proverbs, what it says, you know, what seems like the right path can lead to death, you know? And when the laughter fades, the heartache remains. And so when I look at people I love, and this is always the example I give, when you look at people you love, and if someone told you, hey, Sharon hurt that person, I know you love them, but go ahead and hurt them. You wouldn't do that. You would fight tooth and nail for that person. And so I always use the example of my children that I have now. If anybody was to ask me, hey, hurt your son or take your son's life, that would never happen. I would fight. So I encourage them to fight for what they believe in. You know, and many women, the first thing they do, they hear like you just said, Sharon, that the words of, oh, I'm pregnant. Panic mode set in. Let's calm down. Pregnancy was never meant to be, oh, I'm pregnant. It's a blessing. It is a life. You know, we know that he knew you when he was knitting you together in your mom's womb. He know the plans he had for you. All these words of encouragement. And so I always tell women to fight. You know, don't let the outside noise. Satan sometimes can seem so much louder than the truth. Don't let the outside noise come in. Touch your stomach. If everything was perfect for you, what would you want to have? And many girls say a girl, a boy, what would you name her? And so during our whole conversation, I don't, if they give me a name, like we want to name our child Michelle. Well, I don't refer to it as a baby anymore. I would say, so Michelle would just love, could you imagine if Michelle was looking at you right now? And so we make it very present. This is not an embryo. This is not a fetus. This is a human being that has a name you know so you are amazing that um
0: you're i love everything you're saying it's so good i can't i'm while you're talking i'm even thinking of ways that we're gonna get this word out there because there's so many who need to hear what you are saying your love for that woman is coming through loud and clear um, and that baby all right, well, let's switch gears a little bit. You grew up in a family where you went to church, your family went to church, and yet you I've heard you say that what happened at home was didn't match what was going on at church and so I'm wondering how did that affect you, especially when it came to your view of uh, abortion and I mean in your heart
1: knowing this wasn't the way that you wanted to go? It affected me tremendously because. I took, you know, how you did church. I'm going to say church because that's all we did was church. My parents never once taught us how to have a relationship with God. So when you only taught that going to church is nothing more than like going to the grocery store or, you know, having a relationship with God is like having a relationship with anybody. It becomes toxic. That's, that's, what I, that's the best way I can describe it. You know, because if I truly had that relationship with God, I know I would have fought. If my mother had that relationship with God, she wouldn't have taken me to an abortion clinic. I mean, when I think of that, I'm like, my mother loved me. I know she did. But if she would have known that I was going to try suicide afterwards, Mm -hmm. I was going to turn to drugs and drinking afterwards, and was going to become way more promiscuous, she wouldn't have taken me to an abortion clinic. But in order for her to know these things, she have to know our Heavenly Father. You just cannot go to church and treat it as a routine. You can't go to a building without the relationship. And when you come home and you see your father drinking and beating your mother, the two just don't match up. So it, it became, what is church? Who is God? Like where are you at? Mm. You know, so it, it became fictional. You know, he he was it's just a fictional thing. It's a routine.
0: Well, you uh, met a man who you eventually married and trying religion was next on your to-do list.
1: Uh, my husband is my Ephesians 525. Love your bride like God loves the church and he did. And my husband had a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. So I was like, okay, well, that's what you do. But in the story, if you realize I did exactly what my parents Taught me to do. I did the routine. I did. The, I didn't know what a relationship was like. If they raised their hands doing praise and worship, guess what, Sharon? I raised my hands too. Like, okay, you know, had no clue what I was doing. And my husband would always say, you know, you have to find your path. You know, you have to find your path in this. And I'm like, well, I'm just too busy following everybody else. So how can I find my path? And it wasn't until one day at church. I mean, when I say everything that could have been going wrong was going wrong, I just went to the altar and cried and said, I don't know what I'm doing, God. I don't know what I'm doing, but I know you do. So help me, help me, help me, help me. Nothing changed. The the problems were still there, but my view completely changed. Mm -hmm. And I thought, because I was no longer focusing on the problems, I was focusing on Christ. Mm -hmm. And so that's when my relationship and I honestly would say that's probably when I was like 31, 32. So um it took a while. And how did
0: that moment, that that moment of release, how did that start changing, helping you with the past, with
1: grief? Uh, uh, well, I, I truly understood that grief is not something you can skip over. You know, it is not something you can skip over. My mother... Um, November 11th, 2018, passed away. And all of us, from my children, my husband, sisters, everybody was in the room. The room was crowded. And when the doctor looked at us and said, she's she's going, every single person had a different way they was grieving. Every last one of them. And so when it comes to abortion, we're told we can't grieve. We're told it's your fault. We're told, and I'm thinking, A foreign object is inserted into us not to be too graphic. And it takes a part of us, our child. And you want to tell me that's normal? You want me to believe that I shouldn't grieve? No. So it, it has helped me tremendously of understanding that grieving is a process. What happened to us, no matter how many political parties or how many protests people have, that is not natural. That is not natural. That is why infections can follow. Death can follow. It's not natural. Yeah, that relationship with the Lord changed everything. It, it showed me compassion. It showed me grief is a process that has to happen, and we have to allow it to happen. So I grieve my two children that's in heaven. I do.
0: And how, how does, I think you're, you are describing some of the very powerful emotions that mm-hmm. women experience, what, whether they are women of faith or not. Exactly. So how does your faith make a difference in the grieving and the regrets that
1: you have? If I answer this question truthfully, you know, I feel like, or I felt like, and sometimes I still feel like, what a disappointment. It must have been to God. To say that his, uh, I always stick with, and the reason why I stick with this verse is because my son, um, who I almost aborted, brought it up to me. Um, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, the plans to prosper. And my son asked me, who was I to cancel those plans? Hmm. Our Heavenly Father has plans for each and every last one of us. So my faith shows me that I canceled those plans. That was never my place. I stood in front of God, where I always say, God, let me stand behind you. I stood in front of him and said, "Mm -mm." whatever plans you have for them, whether they're going to find a cure for cancer, whether they're going to be the first person to do this, I've decided that those plans aren't good enough. So my faith has definitely made me connect with the understanding of where my position is, Mm -hmm. you know, and where God's position is.
0: And all of that, let's, let's think of a woman and you've probably done this a thousand times or hundreds and hundreds of speaking with women who are feeling that extreme burden of guilt. And you use the word disappointment. How do, how have you found freedom? Not, not that I think we, there's always a hole in our hearts. There's always mm-hmm. going to be a hole in our hearts until we are completely restored by our savior. But as you're walking this pathway, how do you find freedom that you're not just curled in a ball, you know, tied up in knots because of the past?
1: Freedom is huge. And freedom, um, I, I don't think come easily because to get to the freedom you gotta expose the truth. And that's the hardest part of looking in the mirror at yourself and saying, This is what I did. You know, I took my child's life. I've had so many women where I talk to them and say, okay, well what happened? And one woman looked and she said, I'm a murderer. But that's that is the truth. You know? And so when you deal with that truth and then you know, that, that shame and that hurt and that guilt come over you, you take all of that and put it at the foot of the cross and that's where you leave it. And like you said, there's always going to be a hole in your heart. I mean, that's part of the process of grieving. You may grieve for the rest of your life, but but it get a little bit better and it get a little bit easier. And so when I can say my children's name that's, that's in heaven, Deja and Dalvin, I get a little pep in my step, you know? And so because I dealt with the truth of my action, I repented. I took it to my heavenly father. And man, when you take it to him, the chains, Sharon, come off. It's unbelievable, the freedom that you feel. you like, what I, you can't even believe you gave Satan that type of power.
0: You have acknowledged that it's a lifetime. I mean, this is a—you probably have days where that are harder than others uh, mm-hmm. happen. But you have mentioned in your story that you went to a crisis pregnancy center to, I guess, work as a volunteer, and yes. they sent you to an abortion recovery class or seminar or something. Tell us about that. How
1: how was that an aha moment for you? That was a very funny moment for me because I knew my background. And so I was like, I'm going to go to the pregnancy center. I'm going to, you know, take on the world. Yes, I'm going to share my story. And I was going to share my story, but not all of my story. And the center director said, oh, we would love to have you. So at this time I was doing the girl's Bible study and I thought, how dangerous is that? If one of these girls would have ever mentioned they had an abortion, or a unplanned pregnancy, I wouldn't even know how to deal with that. So I come to the center, Hope Pregnancy Center. I sit down with the center director and she asked me those words, have you ever had an abortion? And Sharon, that was the first time I ever admitted to having two abortions, not just one, I admitted to, and I actually had to look around like, who said that? You know, so I admitted to the two abortions. She was like, I'm gonna send you to the retreat. I didn't know what the retreat was about. It was It's called Rachel's Senior Retreat, had no clue what it was about, but I was like, okay, I'll go. And my husband, who I thought never knew I had the abortion, actually knew something was wrong, because with every pregnancy, when they ask the question, how many pregnancies, I would get so upset, like, well, how many did I write on the paper? Why are you asking me this question? And my husband would be on the sideline like, okay, what's wrong with her? And so he was like, you need to go. You need to go. And he was in Iraq at the time. And he called me and was like, I'm staying on the phone with you until you get there. And he did. And I got there. And I always tell the stories that butterflies kept landing on me. As soon as I got to the door, a butterfly landed on my shoulder. And all the women at the retreat was like, you're going to be transformed. You're going to be transformed. And I was just thinking, get the butterfly off of me. Um, I don't know what y'all are talking about. Let's hurry up and get through with this. And I told my story. Saturday morning, you have to tell your story. And I was sick to my stomach. I didn't eat any Friday. I had a headache. And I told my story Saturday morning. And my headache went away. My appetite came. And that's the type of freedom that we were talking about earlier. That I was just like, oh, my goodness. And then I was ready for butterflies to land on me. But they didn't. They would twirl around me. And I'm like, the transformation was already happening. They didn't have to land on me. So it was, uh, yeah, it changed my life. So it, this is called Rachel's Vineyard? Yes, ma'am.
0: Is this a national program? It is all over the world. That leads me right to the next question of what resources are available for women who are desperately needing to recover, as the word you used, when it comes to abortion, so if met, Crisis Pregnancy Centers, they are, yeah. I think, just Google them. But Rachel's Vineyard, how would a woman find
1: a retreat like that? Rachel's Vineyard has a website. It's under Dr. Teresa Burke. Um, so you could just Google Rachel's Vineyard. Um, it's amazing. They have them in China, in Africa. It's everywhere. So it would change your life. It would change your life. Then it's another Bible study that Pat Layton calls Surrendering the Secret which is an eight-week Bible study. Rachel's Vineyard is a weekend retreat, but um, the eight-week Bible study is amazing as well. You have, and you can Google that as well. Um, You have Forgiven and Set Free, which is a Bible study by Linda Cochran. I was trying to see if I had any flyers, but I don't. Um, Linda Cochran, eight-week Bible study. They even have one, Linda Cochran also have one called Healing Fathers for the men who hurt from abortion as well. So, Um, It is great resources out there. Um, In Tennessee, they have a memorial wall for children who was lost from abortion. And it's called um, Unborn. Yeah, it's called Unborn. And it's a memorial wall for all the children. So you can walk this wall in Tennessee and see plaques of all the children that was lost to abortion. So that's actually really awesome because you could take your family there.
0: I, I did not know anything about that. That's that's profound. Mm-hmm. That's that's yes, wonderful. it is. Yeah. So what is that called? Uh, in case
1: someone wants to um, look it up themselves, it's called the National Memorial for the Unborn. Memorial for the dot org. So that would be the webpage, and it's just a beautiful place where you can honor your children.
0: We'll include that information on our website. Um, listeners, we have a landing page for Lavette's story, and we will include those, um, those links on our website, too, in case you are riding around and you, don't, you can't write things down. So uh, we want to make sure you have the opportunity to look into those resources, which sound um, just really moving and life-transforming and life-changing okay. So, Lavette, as we wrap up our time together, I, I would like uh, you you share a lot that I know is helpful one-on-one for women who are struggling with their past. But I'd like for you to imagine that you are meeting someone for the first time, a woman who is really searching desperately for hope as she is unable to move past the grief of abortion. And just, you know, what words of hope and encouragement would you give to her?
1: Grace. Redemption. Um, Satan would like for you to believe that there's no hope and will want you to wallow in the shame and the guilt. But we have a God that is greater than that. And he will give you an abundance of grace. And I always tell beautiful women that when we say an abundance of it, it means it overflows. It will be sufficient. You know, and so just surrender to God, surrender it all to God, and, and I promise you, I promise you, you won't go wrong. You won't go wrong, man.
0: Thank you so much, Lvette. Uh I'm Sharon Batters, and you have been listening to a conversation with Lavette Vasser, and this is a uh, Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries, and. There's no doubt in my mind that God is going to use Lavette's story to touch hearts, people that she'll never meet on this earth. And if you are one of them, we would love to hear from you. We'd love to pass on to LaVette uh, your response to her story and encourage her in the way that she is really dying to self. Uh, she's a living sacrifice, offering life-giving words and hope to women who are struggling with the aftermath of abortion. You can find more resources like this when you go to markinc.org. That's M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org. Each one is free and each one is designed to give help and hope to hurting people. We tackle life crises that are often experienced in isolation, from terminal illness to grief to raising special needs children to adultery, to sex trafficking. And we even have a special series for military families that have ministered to people all over the world. So you can go there and browse the library and you can access each one of these free of charge. But let's face it, it costs money to produce these resources and we are able to offer them free of charge because people share in our passion to offer help and hope to hurting people. And they do so with their giving. They support us with their giving. And so you could also help us. You can safely give at markinc.org. I hope that you'll prayerfully consider how you can partner with us in ministry. So thank you so much. And thank you for listening.